Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Say Who Say Pod, episode thirty. Danny, if you really? can believe that, we yeah. made it to thirty. That's a nice round number, isn't it? That's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I haven't checked. What's our subscribers at? Um, well, there's a few different ways to look at it. Um, uh, the RSS.com gives you like a a followers number. Uh-huh. That's I I think it's like a rough calculation of the average number of people who listen to each episode within 24 hours of publication. Uh-huh. And that's, you know, there's, there's several, several hundred there. Yeah, that's right. Well, I won't, I won't get real specific with it. Other than, you know, it's like, it's an upper body injury. <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to say if it's an arm or a chest or whatever, but yeah. Dinged or bonked. Uh, I always loved those dis- distinctions that were made. Um, uh, a ding was usually for, a um, with Holmgren, a ding was a muscle strain. A bonk would refer to a, a blow to the head. Um, that, that someone got bonked meant that they were dealing with some concussion issues. Uh, we've gotten a little more precise with that. I feel like ding, dinged has become a little more universal than that. Yeah. Like a, a lot of coaches, it's that's the that's kind of the catch-all for like, when, or, you know, we're not going to have to amputate, but he's he's hurt. <laughs> My favorite, I think I've said this before, is when Pete Carroll will say, like when someone has to go on the inter- injured reserve, he'll say we've got to take care of them. Yeah, it's a it's a very grave situation. I always think like, oh my god, don't put him down. Like he's still useful. He can still be do something. We're gonna have to take care of him. Oh no, no. Uh, I think we recorded our last episode eight days ago, and Washington's world has changed in a, a number of of ways since then. Nearly all of them positive, with a little bit of uh, a little bit of consternation introduced last night. I'll run it down real quick here. So the Apple Cup week started with news of a two-year contract extension for Kalen DeBoer Woo-hoo! and a raise of about a million dollars a year. Uh, it'll pay him $4.7 million by his final year, although, of course, college football, nobody ever comes to the final year of a contract. He'll either have a new contract or a new job by then. That's just how it goes with coaching. Um, Washington then went out and, and won the Apple Cup 51-33 to in Pullman to finish the regular season 10-2, and the first 10-win season since 2018. Uh, they came home and began in earnest a Heisman Trophy campaign on social media for Michael Penix Jr. after he threw for 485 yards and is, I think, 108 yards away from breaking Cody Pickett's single-season school record. Uh, turns out that before Kalen DeBoer agreed to terms on his contract extension, Ryan Grubb, the offensive coordinator, also signed a two-year contract Woo-hoo! extension. We'll keep him in Washington through 2025. Uh, unless he takes another job, of course. Uh, any, um, any contract extensions for the defensive coaches? Uh, none that we know of yet, no. <laughs> hmm. We'll hmm. see. I wonder so, why. This felt like, aside from the the long shot of long shot, you know, Cal upset of UCLA or Colorado upset of Utah, this was the ideal weekend. Oregon lost to Oregon State. Yeah, they did. To fall behind Washington in the CFP rankings. That moved Utah into the championship game against USC, but there was seemingly nothing to worry about with the Utes. Washington was ranked 13th in the CFP rankings last week. Utah was ranked 14th. As long as they got Oregon out of the way, it seemed like Washington's path was going to be pretty clear to be the second highest ranked Pac-12 team, and therefore the obvious choice to replace USC in the Rose Bowl should USC take care of business in the Pac-12 championship and make the playoff. But... The rankings came out last night, and Utah jumped three spots after its apparently extremely impressive victory over Colorado. And they are now ahead of Washington at 11th, with Washington at 12th. What do you think that means? First of all, does it matter? That's the big question. Like that, That's like at the root of it, does it matter? I kind of think it might. Really? How? So, because I'll get, I, I'm willing to get mad about this. I just want to parcel out, like, if this is one of those things. Because when I looked at it, I was like, oh, does the football playoff committee want to make USC's potential victory look better so that if, so that to make sure that SC, if they win, gets into the final four. But it seems like they're pretty solidly in. Like, there's nothing. So I was like, maybe maybe they just want it to look like that it's the top two teams from the Pac-12 that are playing for the title and not have, hey, why isn't Washington in there? I think those are very reasonable conclusions. And if I had to bet money on it, 
I would say it's more likely than not that this what that this doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, Washington's Rose Bowl hopes hinge on the outcome of this game Friday. And if USC wins, they're likely going to be the replacement team. If Utah wins, obviously Utah goes and Washington is, is out of the New Year's Six. But I I don't know why the committee would move Utah ahead of Washington after last week's results, if not to begin the case to justify leaving them ahead of Washington in the instance of, say, a, a really close loss. What if it's another game just like the one in Salt Lake City. It's a thriller. It comes down to the last play. This time USC comes out on top. How do you justify dropping Utah when they've just played a really tough game against what's going to be a playoff team, a team that they'd already beaten, and they lost in, in very you know thrilling, close fashion while Washington sat at home? Wouldn't Utah then have a, a, a case to stay ahead of them? Well, sure, they've got a case, but they shouldn't win it because they have three losses. I did enjoy uh, Book Oregon, the CFP committee chair, answered a couple questions about this on his teleconference last I night. Saw and I saw this. You transcribed them. This is where I started to get mad. And I enjoy the pointing to the Arizona State loss <laughs> as if they just learned about it. I know that that loss looked really bad, and I was like, it should have looked just as bad a week ago. Yeah, it was. It was just. Uh, it was. It was just brought to the attention of the committee that Washington <laughs> lost to Arizona State on October eighth. Because Christian, honestly. I don't have a huge issue with Utah being in the Pac-12 championship game. Like I'm not I'm I'm not feeling that you, that Washington got jobbed or hosed. It's a complicated tiebreaker. Utah's two losses are to better teams than Washington's two losses are. Now Utah loses to an Oregon team that Washington beat, but they also drubbed Arizona State, which beats the UW. I'm I'm not that fired up about like, oh my gosh, it should be UW in that game. I wish it was UW in that game. Like I I I really do. And there's part of me that feels if if Washington that it would feel differently to go to the Rose Bowl if they get there by beating USC, were to get there by beating USC, as opposed to if they go now, which will be essentially because Utah loses to USC and then Washington is decided to be. But if Utah loses, Utah has to fall behind Washington, right? Like, they have to. You would think so. I mean, they, and- they, they have to. They lost in non-conference. Like, we, we talked about this before where kind of how I view what I think you have to look at the non-conference game not as sort of this how good is that team actually but what did it look like when you scheduled it did you schedule a layup that you lost did you schedule it was supposed to be a good team and that team was even like I think Michigan State's the victory Washington's victory over Michigan State should be seen as a better result than it's being considered because Michigan State was considered a good program and it was like that was when when they scheduled it. But I mean, Utah's loss to Florida, like I would say, is in the same category. Florida's even a better program. Well, are they better now? No, they're probably not better now. But they they lost that Gators team isn't more impressive than Michigan State, is it? And they're a five hundred team. Yeah, I mean, it was in Gainesville in in the first week. <laughs> So that's tough. That's tough. That's a sure, tough Sure, but I mean, look, Utah's ranked top 10 and people are talking about them being, they got three losses. If they, they A four-loss team shouldn't go to the Rose Bowl, and I don't yeah. think it will. Yeah, especially a, as a repeat team. And, yeah. and especially, like, it, it's not off the table that the, the highest-ranked Big Ten team is going to be Ohio State and the highest-ranked Pac-12 team could well be Utah. And obviously, if they win, they're, they're in no matter what. You'd be talking about it like a, just a straight rematch. Um, potentially, if if the committee did do the thing where they kept Utah ahead of Washington, even if they lost to USC, which like that's they can't do that, man. That's what we were talking about last week with Oregon, right? Like if Oregon beats Oregon State to get into the conference championship game at ten and two, and then loses to USC, what's the justification for dropping them behind Washington? The argument would be that Washington should already be ahead of them, right? Yes. So that's where I, just to, to yeah. deviate just a touch, like Dan Wetzel from Yahoo wrote, a, I thought, a really good column last week about how 
look, if you think Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC are the top four teams, which obviously they are, I don't think there's a lot of argument to mm-hmm. that. All four of them uh, won their respective divisions or are playing in their conference championship game. And his argument was, if you think those are the top four now, there should be nothing that can happen this weekend that changes that. See, I don't because ag- they're they're all playing an extra that. game. I don't agree with that though. You 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 play the game. You got to play the, the the games that are set down in front of you. Like I don't believe in the the no risk game. That oh you got to give them credit for being there. Like no, that's not how college football works. A, a loss later in the season matters more than a loss earlier in the season. That's just the way it goes. And when people complain about it, I'm going to invoke the term that I used last week: tough titty. <laughs> like I that's how it's always been. When Washington. When Washington went to the Rose Bowl in 2000, they beat Miami early in the year. That's the Miami team that ended up winning the 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 championship, right? And uh, that was that was the next year. Oh, was it? Yeah, they because it was a it was a big controversy that Miami didn't make the BCS national championship game. A lot of people thought they should have. Um, well, Washington also had had one loss. And they had beaten Miami, and there was very little outcry about about them being left out. I think it was Oklahoma against. Oh, was that the year it was like eleven to two or something? I know Oklahoma was in it. I'm looking up. I'd always had it in my head that that you had is well, it's the 2001 right 2001 BCS game because 2000, so it would have been the Orange Bowl. Uh, Oklahoma beat Florida State thirteen to two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I was thinking it was it was it was Miami. Oh, it was the next year when Miami? Oh, that's right, because there was the nine eleven game that was delayed. Um, yeah, that was 9/11. like the, that was the greatest, like maybe the best team in the history of college football. Miami team, pretty good team. There's some pretty this... good Nebraska mid mid nineties is the ninety five or ninety four team that a lot of people thought was the best ever. Yeah. We'll say that Florida State team that, that played the national championship, they did lose at Miami that year. That was their one loss. So Florida State had one loss and lost to Miami. Miami had one loss and lost to Washington. Washington had one, one loss, loss lost to and Oregon. lost to Oregon. Oregon State had one loss and lost to Washington. So <laughs> That was of all the different teams. Like that was the one because the, the Beavs were lining up for what was a pretty makeable field goal, and then I think they took a delay a game. And then I think the field goal was missed. There were there were late game hijinks that happened there um, that ended up making the field goal attempt longer than it was going to be, and then they missed it. And I remember Dennis Erickson getting asked if it was a moral victory <laughs> afterward, which was awesome. Uh, that was extremely funny. Yeah. Um, if I can see, I don't agree with it, but I can see the argument for two teams with the same record and even though one team has a head-to-head victory over the other team i can see and understand the argument to sort of throw out that as the natural tiebreaker even though i don't agree with it like right like i i always i will always believe that head-to-head and if you're choosing between two teams and one of them is beating the other head-to-head even if it's even if it's on the winning team's home field that you should that's that's how things are decided that should be the tiebreaker but i can see but if you've got if you got more losses and a head to head victory, like you can't like I can't wrap my head around how that would how 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 you, how you could sell that. Um especially in a year like there's been some years where Washington has crummy non-conference schedules. Like this year wasn't one of those. Like Michigan State, Michigan State, Kent State and then the and then the cupcake. Like that's not a terrible non-conference schedule. I might even say it's like a B non-conference schedule. So in 2016, which is the the precedent year for uh, the Rose Bowl replacement team not having played in the Pac-12 championship game, Washington went to the playoff. They beat Colorado, I think, 41 to nine in the conference championship game, and the Rose Bowl wound up taking USC. Colorado entered championship week ranked eighth, and USC entered championship week ranked eleventh. So they were separated by three spots, and Colorado's loss to Washington was convincing enough that they fell from eighth to tenth in the final rankings in USC jumped from 11th to 9th, one spot ahead of them. And the Rose bowl took USC. Um, that was a little bit different though, because USC had beaten both 
conference championship game participants head to head, including winning at Washington in Week Ten. So uh, I, I think that you know if you're Colorado, yeah, you won your division. You had to play an extra game USC didn't against a playoff team, but like you know you, everyone kind of knew who the best team you know at that the best available team at that at that time was. I I don't know that the circumstances are the same this year, but I do like ultimately. I do land kind of where you are with I just don't see the Rose Bowl taking a four-loss team when there's a 10-2 and two team that's won six straight that's got this exciting offense and all that just sitting right there. Um, but it it is it is odd that the committee would make this move this week. Like I, I think it's even though Utah's 9-3 and three and Washington's 10-2, and two, you can make a perfectly logical argument that Utah should be ranked ahead of them. There's very little logical argument to be made that they should have moved ahead of Washington based on last week's results. Yeah, there's none. And that's, but that gets back to the entire lunacy of how we decide college football things, right? Like they, the process gets jury rigged to get the desired result. And they mm-hmm. pretend that it's some sort of big calculator. So you have in, actually insane things happen, like the, guy that you transcribed the teleconference from just finding out that Washington lost to Arizona State, right? Like, they have to pretend that it makes sense. And I don't think we're obligated to go along with their little ruse. Like, I think we can just say they make it up as they go along. Is the Rose Bowl Bowl going to choose Utah or Washington? A four-loss Utah team or a two-loss Washington? It's going to choose Washington, right? Like, I, I just don't have any doubt about that. I, I think there are some questions. I, I, do we just assume Ohio State is coming to the Rose Bowl? Like, is that is that is that just because they're not going to play again? Right? Like, is that is that where they're going to end up? Well, Penn State is only three spots behind right now. Right. So I, Ohio State was there last year, and it's been there a couple times. Like Ohio State was in there in two thousand seventeen, the two thousand eighteen game. Correct. Uh, well, they, they were there in two the, for the 2018 season, the 2019 game against Washington. Um, oh man, I get that so mixed up. That's right. That is 2018. It's, it's a consolation game for them. Yes. So I, you know, I think that's a consideration. Now, would they take a a Big Ten team three spots behind them? Nah, I don't know. Um, they might, man. How did how did Ohio State travel last year? I don't think super well. Uh, I don't know though. The thing with Rose Bowl travel that always like it always sells out, right? Yes. So I don't know. Like, how do you determine whether someone traveled well if if like the ga- the game is the stadium's always at capacity? You can kind of tell. You can kind of tell when there's a school that's happy to be there and when there's not. Like, there's a different energy when a school that hasn't been there in a while, and and maybe I'm biased in that regard because I remember so clearly the 2000 season, the 2001 Rose Bowl, when Purdue was there. Like, Purdue hadn't been there forever. It was Drew Brees. Um, and the Purdue fans were so happy to be there. Like, there is a real energy. So I I do I do think that it's – that even if it's not ticket sales, the actual energy surrounding the game and all of the different stuff that's there, I think that does matter. And I think it mattered. But that might be my overly romanticized idea of the game. Yeah, I think they care about those things for sure. And I don't know if they're looking at what the better like TV matchup is or anything or TV markets. It just seems like we're wired to consider that in all aspects of college football <laughs> does, now. How many people are going to watch? Does, What's the rating going to be? Does the Rose Bowl care about that? I don't know. I think they want, like you said, they want two teams and two fan bases that really, really want to be there. Uh, and they, you know, they want the stadium to look awesome with the sun setting yeah. over the sand. I totally forgot the games on January second. By the way, yeah, yeah, they bumped him back a day. That happens every once in a while. I can't blame this on. I can't blame this on, on the on the idiot power structure in college football. I'm gonna. <laughs> so I don't know. It's it, it the the rankings last night introduced a little twist, but yeah, I I still think. And by the way, like the Rose Bowl doesn't have to take the next highest ranked team. They no. traditionally do, and they I think they very much try to stick to that. But like ultimately, it is their choice. And especially if you're talking about two, like teams being separated by literally one spot, I would think they would just take whoever made the most sense. But with that said, 
yeah, like if USC if USC wins, you know, the only way that it, you're even sweating probably whether Washington is is going to stay behind Utah or jump ahead of them is if it's a really close game and it's a really tight, you know, last second type loss. You know, the best thing for Washington would be USC goes out and wins by by two or more scores, and then I think they can feel pretty confident that uh, that Utah would drop behind them in the final rankings. Uh, yeah, you know what I was thinking about last night because I'm a total idiot. I was I was imagining I was like, huh, what would this look like in early '90s pre BCS bowl configuration? Because I mean, I have a long standing. I don't necessarily think that the BCS and the college football playoff have have been an improvement um i think it's different i think it can have some upsides i think there's some some detriment like i i don't think it's this slam dunk like oh there's a better mousetrap now than before because if there isn't if there if there isn't if we're in the old bowl configuration like with conference tie-ins and that sort of thing you would have the rose bowl would be usc versus michigan Mm -hmm. you'd have your big 12 champion tcu presuming they win goes to the Orange Bowl, would face an independent. You've got the SEC team that's going to the Sugar Bowl. Against the ACC team? Maybe. And I I think there was always you could choose the ACC or you could go. I, I bet that would probably be Ohio State. Yeah. I th- I think that's who they'd choose. And then maybe you'd have Alabama versus... TCU it might come out like it was supposed to and basically it would be like if Michigan wins if Michigan beats USC they're the national champion oh wait no I'm sorry Georgia I'm all screwed up there because so yeah you'd have probably Georgia against Ohio State I guess you would still have the possibility of Michigan and Georgia not playing and that would be unsatisfying but I was looking at it I was like is that is that going to actually is what we end up with going to be better than what you would have had with kind of four meaningful games? Nothing's going to be as good as when there's a 12-team playoff and Tulane will be involved. Because <laughs> they'd be in it. They'd be in it this year. They'd be the, they'd be the, uh, the sixth uh, highest-ranked conference champion. That'd be funny. <laughs> really be funny. That's going to happen every year. There's, there's going to be at least one of those every year, which I think is fun. Yeah, I don't mind that part. I, I don't I don't mind that part. The part that I'll mind is people who would be arguing that the fourth best SEC team should be in there in front of Tulane because that will happen. Like they yeah. will, and you will hear, and they'll be right that it is a better team than Tulane. But I'm like, no, you're the fourth best team in your conference. Get out of here with that. Like the power, like you, you got to win something to get in. And they'll get four teams in it anyway, probably. How about the, um, the noise about like, oh, Alabama should be in there? It's like. They lost twice. Like, shut your pie hole. Like they, that, no, you don't get in with two losses. You lost twice. I would still and call it call it West Coast bias, whatever. I, I would I would have a hard time dropping USC again. If you think USC is currently the fourth best team, I would have a hard time dropping them below either Ohio State or Alabama with a, a close loss to Utah in the championship game when neither Ohio State or Alabama had to play this week. Yeah. Hundred percent, I I totally agree with that. And the other thing is, why would you want to do that? Like, why would you, other than you think SEC football is the best and and they deserve to be there, or like you you love Ohio State and you're one of those the 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 sort of the mindless. Like, you had an opportunity; it was all laid out. Alabama lost twice, and Ohio State Ohio State couldn't beat its rival. They got the brake speed off of them. Man, that was satisfying. Did you see Burt Breer, who's a NFL reporter, who's like this big Ohio State honk? And then he had a tweet after because he had all this like make it miserable for anybody wearing the Michigan colors. And then after they lost, he goes, "The worst thing about it here is it's just a bunch of dorks celebrating, like the the nerds. Every nerd at your high school is having his day." So somebody was like, "Your name is Albert. Your name is Albert. Uh, he's." He is who I think of when I think of the most annoying Ohio State fans. Like, they do have a pretty specifically annoying fan base. I don't know that I have a a, a, a poster child for that fan base necessarily. Do you like them? It is kind of funny, though. Am I kind of, or, or maybe it's just that, they're, just that they're good now, so they inevitably end up becoming good. 
I feel like that's the case with like, yeah, every program that has sustained success probably Alab- ends up ends up rubbing everyone else the wrong way. Alabama fans aren't bad though. SEC fans, like I, I, they're annoying under the umbrella, but they're not more annoying than other SEC fans. I've thought this before. Like, is is it still fun to be an Alabama fan? Great question. When you the expectation is that you win every game by multiple scores, can't you only ever be disappointed? Yeah. I don't know. I know Nick, Nick Saban. You know, Nick Saban's as 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 grumpy or whatever as it gets, and he always seems to you know really revel in winning championships. And I know he said before, like you know, no no one is the same. It's a different team every year. It's a different group of guys. A different you know different challenges overcome and all that. So maybe the maybe the fan base reflects that. But like I know just even being being there in 2016 when they played Washington in the playoff and the questions that the, the you know, their players were getting asked all week about you know is this is this your best team ever is this you know do you think you're a dynasty and guys talking about how you know in past teams that won the SEC and lost in the playoff they consider that a lost year and a failure and i'm just like man i if the if the fan base buys into this which i'm sure they do because they're you know they're seeing what's in front of them like how do you ever enjoy yourself but i, I guess winning national championships is fun you know what it is? It's that when the school becomes successful like that and becomes, I guess the word is, and I hate this word for teams, the national brand, is that I don't think it's the true fans whose experience, like the the people that cheered for and, and rooted through some of the different, because there's been times when Alabama football's been down and they still have a pretty passionate following. Like it's not their experiences that are skewed by it. It's it's the front runner fans, right? Like it's it's the people, and probably the same is true with Ohio State. That the the Ohio State fan that was there through the John Cooper era is understands kind of what that these things go in ebbs and flows, and there will be a time when Ohio State sort of the tide recedes, and and maybe they'll think, hey, we've turned a corner and all of this. But there's not that same sort of like, oh, my God, this is an awful year when we didn't win the national championship. Um, and maybe maybe that's how the experience goes. I just I love college football. Like it's my favorite sport to watch, despite my serious misgivings about the fact that the the players are not paid and that it's governed by morons. But like when Washington has been really good, it's not like I came with like this year. Like it's a ten and two year. It's been an awesome and incredibly fun year. No matter what happens at the end of it, like I've enjoyed it, and I don't have this sort of like, oh man, if they just hadn't lost Arizona State, because I'm also well, they also beat Oregon State in a game that they didn't really think they were going to win. Like you enjoy the overall experience, and that's probably the difference between like an actual diehard fan and somebody who likes winning and is drawn to the program because of their success. It is wild to think if they'd beaten Arizona State, they'd be probably playing for a playoff spot this week. That's crazy. But like you said, like I, I think water finds its level. Um, you know, this was not a playoff team. Yeah, this was not a team built to to succeed in the playoffs against uh, a Georgia or Michigan type of team. I think it would be very interesting to watch Washington's offense match up against you know a really elite defense and just see, okay, you know, can they move it? Can they? You know, can they score points? Can Michael Penix Jr. still find those receivers and scheme guys open and stuff? But they wouldn't force um, a punt against against good teams. Um, yeah, defensively, oh, just yeah. just brutal. like that 2016 team. So this is when going into the Pac-12 championship game in 2016. Like I had a very strong feeling that like I want UW to win the conference and go to the Rose Bowl. Like I don't really care. If they if they get picked for the playoff, like I, it's been at that point sixteen years since they've been to the Rose Bowl. Like I want to go to the Rose Bowl, and that that changed. Like that changed, kind of leading that day of the game against Colorado and sort of leading through it. Like I I did. I was like, oh, I'll be disappointed. And they went to the Peach Bowl, and I went to the game, and they belonged in that game, right? Like they. It's not like they almost won it or that they were, but th- that was a team like they had a really good defense and that was a really good Alabama team and they scored early and kind of the, the offense that had not, that it had kind of hit its high point early in the year had, had its trouble, but Washington belonged in that game. I don't think I'd feel the same way about this Washington team if they were going into the playoff. It's funny because I was thinking about that game 
in the context of like what would you know what would Michael Penix and, and this offense have looked like um matched with Washington's 2016 defense oh, like that's if you took interesting. this if you took this offense and put it in that game but then it's also like that's a that's a funny hypothetical to consider when statistically the 2016 offense was one of their greatest ever like yeah. their quarterback threw 43 touchdown passes <laughs> they had the first team all conference tailback who also by the way wound up being the career leader at the school in rushing yards and touchdowns like they had John Ross yeah. they had Dante Pettis like that was that was one of the highest performing offenses they've literally ever had they they blew out nearly everybody they played and yet you still would would you know between Washington's offense and Washington's defense that year you would still circle them as as probably the the lesser unit which is kind of wild coming out of the Alabama game my feeling was okay. That's that's a team that if you're going to beat them, you need your quarterback to be able to beat them. And mm-hmm. and Browning was a true sophomore at that point, and that's an awful lot to ask because there were a lot of NFL dudes on that Alabama defense. But that you were going to need somebody that it really like there they were able to deal with the amount of pressure and and find the open guy whether it was through processing speed or being able to create time that your your quarterback needed to be the x factor and i think some of this is is Penix's experience i i really think we've seen him do that throughout this season I even he didn't start out great against the cougs but by halftime you knew he was rolling and you're like it's this is this is done at least that's how i felt at halftime even though it was what a one was it a one point game like it was, yeah. The, the Cougs kicked the field goal before. I I was so confident that Washington was going to win that game because of how because it was like Penix has got it going, man, and you're not going to touch him. Like he's he's been an incredible quarterback to watch. It did feel like, and I think Kalen DeBoer kind of alluded to this too a couple times. It did feel like Washington was scoring very efficiently and very easily, you know, kind of however it wanted. And Washington State, I mean, give Cam Ward a ton of credit. I the that guy takes a lot of criticism from Wazoo fans, and really? I kind of, I kind of get it. He he's he misses some throws. He hasn't been the real like pinpoint, you know, just just kill you down the field quarterback that I think they kind of pumped him up as. He doesn't get any protection, which doesn't help. Yeah. But man, I thought for a guy playing behind such an inexperienced offensive line, he was he was doing everything he could to extend plays and make stuff happen. He throws a touchdown pass on fourth and ten, and he got out of. They wound up sacking him six times. Yeah. He was pressured on 37 of his 68 dropbacks. He was running for his life. Yeah. So, and you know, maybe he takes off early sometimes, and there's that's always a balance, too. I, I thought he looked like a guy who could really excel in that offense if they can get some, some O-linemen in front of him. There's nobody that thinks that he shouldn't be the quarterback going forward, do they? No, 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 okay. no, 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 no. Nothing like I mean, that. He, looks, he looks really good. And that is coming from someone who was very suspicious because he came from Incarnate Word. <laughs> That's right. I think seriously, like when he transferred, I was like, oh, I don't know about this. And watching him this year, I was like, no, man, he's he's incredible because he doesn't have protection. And his ability to move around and still make plays and throw down the field, I think he's awesome. There was like, I think there was a touchdown they could have had where he missed a guy. And then the the amazing diving catch by Robert Farrell that where the ball actually hit the ground and it got overturned, you know he had him open there and if if he you know, he did he did it was an amazing catch or almost catch an amazing play on the ball because it was overthrown right so there's a couple times he missed his spot where they you know maybe the game could have been different but you know then you're, you're talking about the opposing quarterback needs to be perfect to to keep you in the game um, but you know that was kind of the vibe I think from Washington was that they were scoring so easily and Wazoo was keeping up, but it was like taking everything they had to keep up. It was taking a bunch of fourth down conversions and they, they, you know, great call, great execution with the fake punt. Um, it did feel like a game that eventually the dam was going to break and Washington was going to pull away. And, and that's what happened. I'm wondering from you, you know, you've been watching Husky football a, a while. You've, you've seen, you've seen some really good teams and, you know, you've been to Rose bowls and, and all these sort of things. Where does this season rank for you as a fan on like the the satisfaction scale? Just coming off of last year, winning the way that they've won, scoring points the way that they have, winning at Oregon, winning the Apple Cup. I mean, I where, where does this kind of where will this season go down for you, for you as as you take kind of the 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 in the moment view of it here? So my favorite season was the two thousand season 
with Tuiasa Sopo, right? Like that was that was just an incredible year, and they they went through. I mean, with the Curtis Williams injury factored mm-hmm. in there, and and the way they closed out games was really really remarkable. Um, that was probably my favorite year, the year that I enjoyed the most. Where does this one rank compared to like 2016, 2018? I they beat Oregon. God, this might be yeah. the, this might be my second favorite of the past twenty years. Now, now that two thousand sixteen year and going to the Peach Bowl and like being in the in the playoff and having that comeback, it's it's probably th- number three behind that year because that that you had the end of the Oregon streak as well and Jake Browning pointing and they they hung seventy on them. In Hudson, yeah, that's so. It's it's number three. It goes two thousand, two thousand sixteen, and then and then this season. This season's been more fun than the two thousand eighteen Rose Bowl year, and that was a year I really liked. I I loved cheering for Ben Burke Irvin. Like I was a really I I really liked uh, the the players on that defense. Like I really I I I enjoyed that an awful lot. But there was two thousand eighteen. This is it's kind of tough because. I think Jake Washington has a hard there's a there's a difficult thing where Washington fans end up feeling kind of negative about some of their best quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the Heward brothers and Jake Browning, I would put very much in the same category. Um everybody likes Cody Pickett and everybody loves Tuiasa Sopo. But like both Damon and Brock and 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 I'll throw Jake Browning in there were really successful quarterbacks. Like they were really good players. And by the end with each one of those quarterbacks, there was a level of hostility or I don't want to say with, well, there was hostility at times though. Like there was hostility at times toward Damon and definitely toward Brock because his last season was so bad. And, and with Jake, even though they were, they were successful that last season, losing that game to Auburn where he didn't play particularly well and sort of this feeling of he's regressed and all of those conversations. I, I, I feel that's too bad. Like I, I think that not to get on a soapbox, but I feel like Washington. Get on the soapbox. I, I feel like Washington fans, like those quarterbacks, deserve to be remembered better than they are, and definitely in the moment, like at the time that those guys were done, there wasn't the acknowledgement of the accomplishments that they had. And the difference this year is that everybody's just been, like Penix has been so much fun, but it's felt a little different because he. He came here, right? Like there's a there's a little bit of Corey Dillon feeling to it. Um, I I hope he stays, but I also don't have that much investment on on whether he stays or not. I've loved watching him play. I think it's a joke that Caleb Williams is being sort of touted as a Heisman candidate and not Penix. But I think that that's just chalked up to the the dynamics of this stupid sport uh, or the stupid people that govern the sport. It's been really fun to watch him. Um, so I guess that's a long and roundabout way of saying that like, it's been incredibly fun. It's been a blast to watch him quarterback the team this year. But it's also made me feel that kind of sometimes we don't appreciate sort of the, the career longevity that some of the other quarterbacks have had at the school. Yeah, that's a really good point. By the way, David Shaw resigned. <laughs> Do you th- did he get forced out? That's another out? news item. It I sure it sure doesn't seem like it. I know. It I think seems he, like, he seems like he was kind of the last to know. He's like, yeah, I guess I really am not committed anymore. <laughs> <laughs> he feels, looked at he looked at the ashes of the past two seasons <laughs> and he said, "For who? For what?" It feels like a Chris Peterson situation where there was a whole lot more losing involved. Yeah, like I, I think he looked at probably the same forces that Chris Peterson was looking at, like eh, transfer portal, nil. But it seems like mm. Stanford's the one place that would be immune to that because, like, you can get Stanford. Stanford is a particular type of player that that is is geared out for. It. Like I, I, I'm convinced that was Tyrone Willingham's biggest problem was that like the 
players you recruit to Washington are a different kind of self starter than the guys or than than the guys he was used to and thrived with at Stanford. <laughs> like there wasn't there was a little more um there was a little more heavy lifting that he needed to be willing and able to do at Washington that he was not because he was like, this is not how Stanford kids. I was like, yeah, well, the kids you're coaching couldn't get into Stanford. Like Tyrone, like that, I don't, I don't want to be. I couldn't get into Stanford. Like you, you, you got, you got to adjust your means. That'd be, that'd be weird. I, I can't. Huh. So would Peterson uh, the fit there? I, I think he'd be in a perfect institutional fit. I don't. I have a hard time seeing him wanting to get back into it. Here's the thing. Like, if you don't want to deal with NIL and the new college football landscape, yes, it's true that there probably won't be the same pressures at Stanford. Yeah. But it, it's by virtue of it's going to make it way harder to win. Like, yeah, that's true. That's true. You're essentially taking a job with one hand tied behind your back. And then, like, with the transfer portal, too. Yes, there's. it's it's true what you said. There's all, There are always going to be a handful of kids in every class who are really good prospects who could mostly go to any school who are going to choose Stanford because they want to go to Stanford yeah. because it's Stanford. It's they like do Richard have Sherman. that poll. R- Richard Sherman could have gone to USC, could have gone to a number of places. Like exactly. he, he, he went to Stanford because he, he wanted to go to Stanford. But they have lost several very good players through the transfer portal the last couple of years, and they don't have the ability to replace them. Oh, that's true too. They yeah. have, they, they, <laughs> they brought in, there was, I forget who it was. There's one kid they got this year, graduate student, who literally applied to Stanford on his own, got in, got accepted to a grad program at Stanford, and then called David Shaw or, or whoever at Stanford and said, hey, I got accepted. Can I, can I transfer? And if you do that, then you can. But they, don't, they, <laughs> they won't save spots for you. It's really hard to do. You, you know, you, it doesn't happen on the front end. You don't say, hey, we're taking this kid as a transfer and let's get him into school. Yeah. You you got to reverse engineer it, and I don't think a whole lot of guys are going to want to go through that process. So like, it's going to be like I don't unless the the university, you know, bends to the the athletic department's wishes, or if they even want to do that, I don't know. But no. I I feel like that that's one of many things that David Shaw probably looked around and was like, we aren't any good. <laughs> We've long we're three and nine again. You know, this program is not what it was, and it's now infinitely harder for me to turn this thing around yeah. year to year than it would have been five years ago. I'm I'm out. You know, I don't want to deal with this. So it was Peterson-esque in that way, but with a, a whole lot more losing before it happened. It's funny the ebbs and flows that Stanford goes through. And they've, they've been on a relative high for so long that you forget, like, the ups and downs. Because they've had, I mean, they've had great coaches there. Like, not just Bill Walsh, but Denny Green came from there Tyrone was an incredibly successful coach there Jim Harbaugh and then and then David Shaw but they have also had some stinkers like they have been terrible like Walt Harris Buddy Tevens like that is a program that they might have the most volatility of any program in in the conference in terms of there have been times when they've been very good and competitive and then times when they've just been awful. Like Oregon State has been more on the just awful side than being really good. Arizona has been fairly mid, I would say, mid to bad. Like Stanford's been great, and Stanford's been god-awful terrible as well. I guess Washington uh, has too because they were 0-12 in addition to going to the Rose Bowl. in Like when you go 0-12 and win the conference championship in the span of time, that, that Washington did was it like eight years uh, that that probably qualifies as extreme variance as well. One of those, uh, perhaps the very worst Stanford team of that run won its only game at Husky Stadium. Sure did. That's Suddenly when senior. that's when, that's when we knew zero and twelve was in play. <laughs> um, for what it's worth, Bruce Feldman uh, at the Athletic wrote his always always writes a story when there's a coaching change about who the the leading candidates are. Um, he knows Chris Peterson well. Yes, he does. Uh, from from throughout his career, but obviously they're they're colleagues now at, at Fox Sports. And, and he wrote um, the big wild card for this job is Peterson. He got Washington into the CFP and had four top ten seasons in eight years with the Broncos. No football coach is more thoughtful or better at creating a winning culture. But Peterson is very self aware in a way many w- winning football coaches just aren't, or at least not to that degree. He eventually realized it was best for him to leave the sidelines. I don't think he would want to come back to coaching for almost any job or situation. 
Stanford is a u- unique deal, and maybe, maybe it would be the rare opportunity that would intrigue the Northern California native. But intriguing him and getting him to jump back into big-time college football and the craziness of it with the portal and an NIL and 365-day-a-year recruiting probably would be tough for him to buy into. So that's not somebody um, just just throwing out, hey, here's what I think based on what I know of Chris Peterson. That's somebody who knows him personally. Uh, who knows if there's any actual Chris Peterson insight tied into that, but um, that's certainly as good of insight into probably where Chris Peterson's at as, as you're going to get. So if Bruce uh, is, is willing to, to put on the record that he thinks it's it's a long shot, then it's probably really a long shot. Who do we think is going to get the Colorado job? Because it's Kenny Dillingham is is in Arizona State. I know that Tyler Columbus, who was a former Seahawk and played in the NFL for a while, he's a buff. He went to uh, to, to CU. And he he said earlier this week that he, he thought it was more likely than not that Dion would end up there. Which I was like, wow, that would be. Can you imagine Deion Sanders in the Pac-12? He confirmed he was offered the job. Is he not going to take it? I don't know. That's what I, I saw the report that he he said that the report was true. He'd been offered, and I was like, well, there's uh, <laughs> there's one more question I'd like to ask. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, gonna take it? Oh, how about Hugh Freeze, man? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I th- you know what I think of when I think of you? I think of um. The Batman movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger is Mr. Freeze. Yeah, yeah. And then Conan O'Brien did a really like funny riff on that a couple of years ago. He's like, I'm Mr. Freeze. <laughs> so whenever I see Hugh Freeze's name, it's just the first thing I think of. Do you know what? It has I nothing think? to do with anything, and I'm an idiot. But um, Do you know what I think of? I think of the hospital. Something else. No, no. Like, well, I mean, so I feel like we'll, we'll kind of say there's stuff you can laugh at with Hugh Freeze and there's stuff you can't laugh at. I, I would say true. that the using the school cell phone, the school provided cell phone to contact uh, a sex worker and initially explaining that it was a missile until they showed that it was 12 missiles to this number, at which point he was he resigned because he was going to get fired because you can't. I mean, I, I think it broke a state law. Like, I think you can't use a school provided device for that or violated the morals clause or whatever the hell it was like i feel that's like firmly in the mid of being able the stuff that's not funny and like really concerning is like six months ago he was he's been the head coach at liberty football uh he was he was sending private direct messages to a, a woman who was i mean she was a rape victim who was suing liberty and she'd been critical of the fact that Liberty, the school she's suing, had hired the former athletic director from Baylor, where like the 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 issue there was failing to adequately investigate and protect students and, and alert students and punish guys who were accused of sexual assault. And he's sending unsolicited direct messages to her. But the first thing that I think of, so this is outside of all of those behavior things, is a hospital bed. Oh right! Do you remember that's that? Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's that's right. He had them haul a hospital bed into into the stadium so he could coach. He, he had a potentially like he had a serious staph infection, and he's there in a hospital bed coaching. Like the that, boys needed to see him. <laughs> the is... boys needed to, the boys needed to see their coach toughing it out. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> that just reminded me. Uh, as much as we've talked about Paul Petrino or um, Bobby Petrino on, yeah. this, on this podcast, did you see our uh, David Ubbin, the Athletic, wrote a, a retrospective of, of the the Bobby Petrino motorcycle incident? No, oh, I've got it was really it was really good. It's really good. <laughs> um, he insisted on doing that press conference uh, against the advice of of uh, administrators at Arkansas because he wanted to he wanted to show his team that he was he was being tough. <laughs> Like he asked them to be. <laughs> There's a lot of details about the. He, he talked to the reporter who broke the story and and um, you know, details about like I think the. God, he I don't t- know if he's a sheriff's deputy or yeah. local law enforcement who was part of Paul Petrino's like game day security you know details. Yes had like come and picked him up and they, they took Correct. him to some like off the beaten path hospital instead of the major hospitals. And they tried to get him to not, I think one of the issues was they tried to have like preempt a police report 
Well, he he didn't. Yeah, they they tried to do everything they could to not have the the woman's presence listed on the on the police. Oh, report. is that what it was? Okay. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't the actual police report. It was the fact that they didn't want it mentioned that he had somebody else riding on the back of his his motorcycle. Yeah, and a, a TV reporter got the police report. I think it had been had been tipped off. Hey, this isn't you know this isn't what it appears to be. And like track he tracked him down after his press conference. He was like riding away on a golf cart, and he approached him you know in a one on one ish setting and was like, Hey, one more thing. Were you alone on that motorcycle? And he said no. And he asked him one more time, "Are you sure?" And he said no again. And I'm sure in that moment he had to he had to have known, like, "Oh no, this guy knows. Mm-hmm. This guy knows." And I'm I'm toast. That's too. But funny. you should you should you should read this. I'd recommend everybody to read the story. It's a it's a fascinating look back at that that whole saga. There, I've said that college football is my favorite sport. One of the reasons that it's my favorite is because of the insane things that surround coaching and coaching searches. Yes. Like, and, and, uh, Hugh Freeze is right in the middle of that from sending text messages to a phone that he thought was Archie Manning's, uh, wanting to get the Ole Miss job and having that be an old phone number for Archie Manning. So somebody came out and said, who the hell is Hugh Freeze? And at that point, the Ole Miss coach, uh, Houston Nutt knew that someone was someone was angling for for the job that that he'd had to how mad Nutt was after uh, after Hugh Freeze tried to lay all of these recruiting infractions on on his doorstep uh, and say that they were due to the like the whole thing. It is it's just pure SEC. And now he's at Auburn, which is is hilarious. How long do you think Hugh lasts? Well, how many games does he win? Does he beat? See, this is why the Lane Kiffin talk made no sense to me. You're already in the SEC. Why would you leave for a job uh, where your success is based on how often you beat Nick Saban? Yeah, I think that's a very good point. So, like, how often is Hugh Freeze going to beat Nick Saban? Now he's done it before, right? That's yeah. kind of his thing. Like he's he's been very successful he's against successful twice. head coaches. Um, I think he's man, gonna, I think he's going to get canned in year five. And I think you, it'll I think it'll be a glorious like implosion in year five. I think he'll beat Alabama in one of his first three seasons, and that will inspire like all of this talk of like he's finally got it turned around. Year four is going to be disappointing, and they're going to bite the bullet and go one more year with him. And then year five, it's going to be a colossal explosion. Yeah, well, year five. I mean, you got to measure Auburn ten years in dog years, right? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Because that, that's like that's like a thirty-five year tenure if he makes it to year five. They've, will will he beat Alabama? Yeah, he'll beat like Alabama. He's, I think he's going to beat Alabama one of his first three years. I kind of feel like he's going to get some dudes in there, and they're going to have like at least a couple of like ten win type of seasons. Yeah, maybe. I just, dude, bad co- bad coaches have done really well at Auburn. Yeah, like at least for a year at a time, and then they all leave in weirds. Like it, it is. Bomani Jones made this point. They they either leave just beaten down or mired in scandal. <laughs> like like going back a long way. Like Pat Dye when he was on the way out, it was NCAA sanctions. Terry Bowden was there and was really successful, and then he left and was never the same. And there's never been a real clear answer of why he got the boot, but clearly something something really untoward happened. Yeah, Tommy Tuberville there. I, they the, Gus Malzahn. Uh, who's the Gene Chizik, who I think they hired from Iowa State, and he had just a god-awful record, but he'd been the defensive coordinator at Auburn. Um, Won a national title. <laughs> mired in scandal, right? Like, in retrospect, everybody looks back, and Cam Newton, and all of the different... Like, it's... Uh, and now you're going to be in the, in the NIL, which I don't know if it helps or hurts. Like, do you think that helps? Does the NIL help or hurt a dirty coach? Man... Because I think it, I think the, it helps because the the general conclusion is that lawyers would would challenge any NCAA action against NIL, right? Yes, but it hurts in that you're not the only guy doing it, and your lack of morals previously gave you an advantage, and now you don't really have that, right? Like yeah. if you were if you were willing to be Jerry Tarkanian like in the kind of program you run, like. And you're like, okay, you're going to you're gonna constantly be at war with the NCAA, and you're probably eventually, they're going to get you one way or another. 
like there were a certain number of guys who weren't willing to do that. Like now that that specter's off the table. Like every everybody can go fire fire money at people. This is um, we're coming into like the the first uh, like potentially litigious transfer portal cycle <laughs> where you're going to have a lot of guys who probably signed some stuff. Yeah. Um, oh, that they're going to leave and they're going to be like, no, you can't leave because you signed this. Well, not you can't leave, but you we're we're not going to fulfill the terms of the contract because you left, or you know they'll they'll be they'll be unhappy with what they're getting, and that's why they'll leave, and they'll look for something more. And um, because I think the the athletics reporting around these like big collective deals for you know five star recruits or whatever all said that in order to comply with the you know oh you can't use it as an inducement rule that none of those deals actually like required enrollment at a particular school or whatever. Yeah. I I think, you know, depending on how many of those type of deals are actually in existence, like if they're really commonplace, if it's just there's a couple here and there, uh, we may be coming up on the era here in the next cycle or two where you're going to see those challenged and we're going to find out just exactly, you know, how binding those are. Will there be guys who signed NIL deals who will still try to fulfill the terms of them? You know, w- while also leaving for give to, me my know, to play for another school. No, like we all know. I know it's not in the contract, but the only reason you're getting that room is there. I maybe I'm maybe I will live to regret these words. I'm kind of looking forward to it. Like I'm kind of looking forward to the massive sort of chaos that's going to ensue, and the and the and the reason for that is because I believe that the NCAA's. And and at this point, it's beyond the NCAA. Like, I mean, really just college sports attempt to create a workaround to actually paying the players. Like, mm-hmm. it's, like this is, they're trying to pay the players without paying the players, right? Like, that's that's what NIL essentially is. And it's going to create chaos. It's going to create bidding wars, um, which we saw a little bit last year. And, and it's going to create exactly what you just said of terms of a deal that change when that player goes somewhere else because those those deals couldn't be tied to the attendance of a specific school that are going to <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I look forward to the chaos was a uh, a nice final week of the regular season for us to end on with our picks we each went five and two uh i went ten two and one the last two weeks heck yeah how about that on fire pull, pull above 500 uh, with a regular season record of thirty four twenty nine and one, uh, you were thirty two thirty one and one. So look, if you if you bet with our picks, you made money this year. Folks. Nah, not with me. With you, you'd lose it with you're, me on the vig. You'd oh, lose you'd it on the vig. Yeah, yeah. And with mine would eat into it a, a little ways. The too. juice. If what you I, bet I think ten you, grand per game, yeah, you might have done. You might have done some damage. If you bet ten grand per game on our picks, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> like really really it's dumb. also like we you know by picking every game you're not um you know that's like a forced sample size right it's not like we're sitting down and saying okay what are the most advantageous lines what are the games we feel best about it's just we're going to pick every pac 12 game which you wouldn't you wouldn't do if you were you were actually gambling with with any sort of strategy um one more one more this week usc is a, a three-point favorite what do you think happens in vegas on friday night give me the trojans Betting with my heart. Give me the Trojans. Give me the Trojans because I, I want them to win big and, and take any question out of out of where Washington ends up. Uh, I agree. I, I think um, not for, for caring about the outcome, but I agree USC is, is going to cover the three. I, doesn't it feel like the Trojans have gotten a lot better since they lost to Utah and, and Utah kind of hasn't? Yes. And I, I think Cam Rising's health is, is a, a big piece of that. He missed the Wazoo game. They, you know, he hasn't really been running as much, right? Which is a huge weapon for them. So we'll we'll kind of see, you know. He, clearly, he's been playing through something. We'll we'll see how um, unleashed he is in, in this game. But um, it, I do think USC gets this one done. Just kind of feels like they got it rolling. Caleb Williams is really in a groove. Um, you don't you don't think he should be the Heisman front runner? Why should he get it over Penix? He's thrown for more touchdowns. He's got ten rushing touchdowns. Um, team's only got one loss. I don't have a complaint about Caleb Williams winning it. Like I, I generally root for West Coast players, um, but I think Penix has had the better season. Like, and I don't think it's that 
close. Um, Caleb Williams has had a much better defense. They haven't relied nearly as much on him, and he came to a much better situation. Like, Penix came to a dumpster fire. Like, that's in the turnaround that he's had. Um, I just, I think it'd be funny if Caleb Williams wins the Heisman and, and Penix ends up sort of getting offensive player of the year in the Pac-12. Yeah, I was talking about that possibility the other day, like someone had suggested, well, maybe, maybe the coaches would, would, um, in order to honor both guys, they'd vote one offensive player of the year and vote the other as the first team quarterback. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I do think I, I we'll see we'll see how petty the coaches want to be about the whole USC going to the Big Ten thing. And, you know, I thought would, it was going to be how petty the coaches want to be on how many damn transfers USC got. Well, I mean, every, I mean everybody's got to do that, right? Like who's who's not taking transfers? SC was extra level though. Didn't they have something like nineteen in their two deeps? They yeah. had a, they had a lot. Yeah. So, what's your perspective on that? Like, I feel like that is a that's on the pros list of why Lincoln Riley is is the Pac-12 coach of the year yeah I like being able to go out and do that now you're you know USC USC, is is advantaged over everybody do you you think that Lincoln Riley did a better coaching job than DeBoer it's hard see they they both took over four and eight teams that I think see DeBoer DeBoer took over a team and they did go get Penix and that was that was huge. And obviously they've got some other transfers starting on, on defense. Um USC's, but for the most USC's the a most better part, team, right? Like they're they're a more complete team. They have they even if they're I think their offense isn't quite as good as, as Washington's. Like they've got a better all around team, better record. It's a it's a better team. Just watching them. USC's a better team. But DeBoer, man, like he he inherited a much worse situation at a program that didn't have that kind of status. And when Lincoln Riley went from Oklahoma to USC, all of a sudden it was like a bump. Like it was, it wasn't as hard. I don't think it was as hard as for Lincoln Riley to get Caleb Williams to USC as it was for DeBoer to get Penix to come to UW. Yeah. I mean, I think you would, you would say that Kalen DeBoer uh, to a far greater degree actually took a four and eight team and made it 10 and two. Whereas Lincoln Riley took a four and eight team, blew it up, completely rebuilt the roster and turned them into a playoff team. And like, look, it's college football in 2022. I think there's, I think there's, there's a lot of merit to that. You know, I don't think it's, it's a case of like, well, but it's a different team. Well, because he's Lincoln Riley, he was able to attract all of these really talented players. And also because he's at USC. Yes. Um, but if you're USC, that's why you that's why you swing for the fences and go get a Lincoln Riley, right? He can yes. bring Caleb Williams, he can bring Mario Williams, you know, pull Travis Dye from the portal, pull uh is it Austin Jones, the former Stanford running back, speaking of Stanford guys transferring out from the portal, Jordan Addison from the portal. So um I I USC's a, a two a last second two point conversion in Utah away from being undefeated. Yep. A year a year after going four and eight. So like I would have a and again, again, we'll we will see. We will see how petty the the conference head coaches are. I hope you they're know? super petty. I hope the they're thing super is, petty. like, there's. I think Penix had a good enough season that you can you can justify like giving him a vote without feeling like totally outrageous about it. Yeah. Even though I I would vote for Caleb Williams, um, and Kalen DeBoer and Jonathan Smith both did a good enough job as head coaches this year that you could you could cast your vote for them over Lincoln Riley, even though I would I would probably vote for Lincoln Riley um, without it looking like you're just doing it to slight Lincoln Riley. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We're not going to find out how the voting breaks down. You just know who the winner was. But I wouldn't be surprised if there were some coaches who, yeah, kind of look more at, at Washington and think, well, you know, they're not bailing on the conference, first of all, yet. <laughs> um, and, you know, maybe they – Maybe he did it a little bit more with you know actually taking the the roster he was giving and and flipping it from four and eight to ten and two. Although Michael Penix Jr. won uh, one very big asterisk to that conversation, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how that how that all shakes out. Um, do you uh, you enjoy your Thanksgiving? I did. It was awesome. We had we had fifty five at Thanksgiving. Fifty five. My aunt uh, Cece Cecilia made uh, tw- four turkeys. She cooked four turkeys. Where are you at on turkey? I like turkey. T- 
tastes like it tastes like the holiday. I like it's always been more about the people than the food for me. I, yeah. I, turkey's fine. Turkey's absolutely fine. I'm so down on turkey. Really? Why? Yeah. I just it's not that I haven't had good turkey. And you know what? I like deli meat turkey. Yeah. Um but just the the bird, I I just I don't get excited when the big when the big turkey comes out of the oven and it's carved up. I just I, it just looks dry to me. But you get some gravy, you get some stuffing, then you get sandwiches the next yeah. day. Yeah, but like if you need to supplement it with all this other stuff for it to be like tolerable. I just think it's I think it's the worst of the holiday meats. And I it would never be my preference to to prepare a turkey. I think I'll eat it. I've had good turkey. But I'm, um, you know, I'd always rather have a a prime rib or brisket or I think it's the best of the holiday meats because of its versatility and how long it lasts. Like that can be a full two, two and a half days of sustenance. And while on its own, I I would tend to agree with you. It is the least tasty of all the holiday meats. You're not looking at it in a vacuum. Like turkey's coming with a squad. Like turkey, turkey has some armaments. There's some mashed potatoes that you can use to make mashed potato pancakes if you'd like and eat that with the turkey. There's some gravy. There's some stuffing. There's some cranberry. There's some green bean salad. Like there is a lot that's coming to the table with turkey. So don't just pretend it's just turkey. It's not a one-man show. It's a team. I guess that's my issue. I I need a, you know, I need a captain at the center of that table. (laughs) I need someone who can go score the basketball, you know? For, and I need I need a great thrower of the football. <laughs> See, who I, can I, win you? Fo- who can who can who can win you football games? Uh, Turkey is the kind of uh, point guard of a quarterback that Pete Carroll loves. Like it, it sets up other plays. <laughs> it, <laughs> it's a great distributor of the Turkey, opportunities. Turkey wears the wristband. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Did you see? Did you see Russ got yelled at by a like? I mean, like a I rank did. and file dude. Like that's just something. It's just something every week at this point. That guy has three and a half sacks in a seven-year career, and he's screaming at Russell Wilson on the sideline. And the head coach, who's directly in front of him, just doesn't even bat an eye. Like, just doesn't doesn't even react to it. It's like, oh, oh. Yeah. Russell Wilson played in a Rose Bowl. He sure did. He almost won that Rose Bowl. Yeah. Enjoy the game Friday, everybody. Uh, Go Troy. I, th- I think Kalen DeBoer gave Washington fans permission to to root for USC. Did you see that? He was asked. Yeah. You know, a, I agree with that. You're rooting for USC, and he was like, yeah, we've been we've had to be pretty selfish these last couple of weeks with, with who you're cheering for. But uh, he said, hey, we." I think the quote was, "We the way I look at it is we've, we already did Utah a favor. Heck yeah. So, um. Enjoy the game, and we'll talk to you next week.